people are beginning to realize that if we don't cultivate peace within, there will never be peace without. Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers, to Awareness Explorers. I'm Jonathan, and we have a special guest today, Miriam Williamson, who you probably know. We'll introduce her in a moment. But first, let me say hello to my co-hosts. How are you doing, Brian? Very well, Jonathan. I'm so excited about today, uh, and it's, it's kind of a thrill. You know, I interviewed Marianne for a book I did called The Experience of God, uh, let's just say a while ago. Decades. <laughs> It was a lot, yes. It was more than 20 years ago. And I'm really excited to hear uh, some updates as to what she's been through, which has been a lot. Uh, let me tell you, our listeners, a little bit about Marianne. Uh, Marianne Williamson is a best-selling author, a political activist, and spiritual thought leader. For over three decades, Marianne has been a leader in spiritual and religiously progressive circles. She's the author of 14 books, four of which have been New York Times bestsellers. Marianne founded Project Angel Food, a nonprofit that has delivered more than 14 million meals to ill and dying homebound patients in 1989. That's amazing. Uh, the group was created to help people suffering from the ravages of HIV and AIDS. She's also worked throughout her career on poverty, anti-hunger, and racial reconciliation issues. In 2004, she co-founded the Peace Alliance and supports the creation of a U.S. Department of Peace. Yay for that. She ran for the Democratic nomination for president in 2020. In 2021, she launched MarianneWilliamson.substack.com. Welcome to Awareness Explorers, Marianne. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Um, one thing... You know, you're obviously known for being a big proponent of A Course in Miracles. And in the last 30 years, so much has happened along that line. Uh, I'm wondering, for people who aren't really familiar that much with A Course in Miracles, what you feel has made it so much a focus of your work and what you see that it really does for people? Well, I first started reading A Course in Miracles when I was in my 20s. I had previous to that time, always been interested in anything that had to do with the higher mind. It could be exoteric or esoteric. I could be in a philosophy class reading about Kierkegaard or Hegel or Schopenhauer, or I could be doing tarot cards or reading about the I Ching, Alan Watts, Ram Dass, and so forth. It just, all of it was fascinating to me. Plus, I'm Jewish. I had read a lot of comparative religion. So all of that stuff was a, a fascination to me but I was pretty low on the scale of ability to apply in meaningful ways to my own practical experience some of the principles that I came to understand. So The Course in Miracles is a psychological mind training based on universal spiritual themes. It's not a religion. It's based on universal spiritual themes that I'd read about 
but it actually, because there's a text that's the intellectual basis of the material, but then a workbook, which is 365 days of lessons by which you actually dismantle one thought system, the thought system of the world, the thought system based on fear and separation, and then learn to, through this training of your attitudinal muscles, replace that with a thought system based on love. It's like you take one filter off your perceptual mm. camera and replace it with another. So that just made a huge difference in my own life. When I started talking about The Course in Miracles, first at a bookstore I had, and then at a place called the Philosophical Research Society in Los Feliz. I had no ambition for a career doing this because careers around this kind of thing didn't even exist. <laughs> right. So you could be, uh, you could be a an academic teaching comparative religion or philosophy. That was one option. Another option is you could be clergy. And I couldn't see either one of those for myself. You know, my mother kept saying, we'll send you to rabbinical school. None of that felt like it. I just wanted to talk about this particular book, what it had done for me. The Course in Miracles doesn't claim any monopoly on truth. Mm -hmm. It's not like better or worse. You know, there's one truth with a capital T. It's spoken many different ways. The fact that it was practical, that it trains you to think along the lines that actually liberate you from so much of the stress of the world. That's what made a huge difference for me. I then, as now, was passionate about talking about it, writing about it, because it brings me joy. Mm. And that's been my career. Yeah. One of the things that I love about it, <clears throat> and through from your first book all the way through A Politics of Love, is the fact that it centers on love, uh, which seems to me to be our default state. I mean, it, uh, or it seems like everything is love, but we, we cover it up. We, 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 we leave it. And so how does, how has love affected your life and how does it create miracles? The core principle of A Course in Miracles is that love is who we are that God is love, we are ideas in the mind of God, that is who we essentially are. That is our identity, and our purpose in life is to manifest in the world an outpicturing of that which is who we are. Identity and purpose. In any situation, if you remember who you are, which is love, remember why you're here, to give love, the world will work because your life and your thinking will be aligned with the larger purposes of the universe. That is your spiritual default position. However, because the world in which we live is dominated by a thought system based not on love, but on fear, on a personality level, our default position is fear. On a personality level, our default position is defense and attack and judgment and all of the, the spawn, as it were, of fear, the negative places we go into. So even though it feels like our default position is fear, we, as we return to the truth of who we are, which is the meaning of the word atonement, then we find our deeper identity and begin to live from that default position. The Course in Miracles says you learn at a very early age that that which is true to your nature begins to feel unnatural and that which is natural to you feels unnatural. Yeah. 
You know, uh, I, I've interviewed a lot of spiritual leaders for books and this podcast, and I used to ask them, what's the meaning or purpose of life? And after interviewing maybe 50 of them, they all said the same thing, which amazed me. You know, they'd say we're, you know, we're love and we're supposed to find love and peace within and then actively uh, serve in the world. And you certainly have done a lot of service. What do you see as a relationship between spirituality and activism? And, and what do you think we're getting wrong a lot nowadays? Well, all thought creates form on some level. And because the collective thought patterns of humanity have been based on fear to such an extent and for so very, very long, we have manifest a world in which horrors exist, um, unnecessary horrors, but horrors which are the effects caused by our living with thoughts of fear and separation and attack and defense and so forth. We are on this earth to heal that gap, mm. to repair that breach. We are on this earth in order to bring light into these darkened places. We are on this earth to be repairers of the breach, to repair the world. We are on this earth to extend love because love is the ultimate medicine. So whereas the world is wounded, in any situation where we bring forth love, healing exists. You and I could be talking about not only meaningless things, but there are people who would be on a podcast right now talking about hateful things, mm -hmm. which is the furthest extreme of ego thinking, how to hate people, how to do terrible things to people, to animals, to communities, to societies. And unfortunately, there are people who do that. This is a choice. This is what free will means. But you have a podcast and I have a career as well, where we are seeking to bring forth alternatives, alternative thoughts to the fear-based thinking that dominates the world. Now, another thing about that that's so interesting is that we were brought together. So not only are we on the earth to extend the thoughts of love that are constantly pouring into us, but we are also assigned to those with whom we have a maximal opportunity to serve at an exponentially higher level than we could do by ourselves. Just like the cells in the body are assigned to collaborate with other cells to serve the healthy functioning of the organ of which they're part. So that's what's happening. What's happening is that not only are we feeling this yearning for spiritual revival, this yearning for a different way, a yearning to live on the earth in a different way, but we are finding ourselves in the presence of what the Course in Miracles calls mighty companions hmm. who are like-minded in that yearning and in that desire so that together we can do more than we can do alone. Well, mm -hmm. I find that so, so moving. I do too. Yeah. One thing that seems for hmm. each of us to play our individual role, one thing that seems to get in the way, and I see this in so many people I talk to, and have experienced it firsthand, is anxiety, it's particularly the anxiety that we feel when we look at things like politics as a prime example, or um, things like global warming or what's happening, happening in the world. And sometimes it seems to get in the way of effectiveness. What, would you, what advice do you have for, for the anxious among us? If you're not anxious and you're not depressed looking at those things, what is wrong with you? Ah. So the brain 
causes the experience of pain if my leg is broken. The, that's a functional response. If I didn't feel the pain, I wouldn't know to reset the bone. Psychic pain is the same. It means something's wrong. You need to reset your thinking. So what the system, what the ego-based system says is there's something wrong with you. There's actually something right with you. Only a sociopath feels no remorse. Only a sociopath feels no regret. The fact that the world is anxious is because the world is not in its right mind. And this is a particular, I feel about this particularly strongly because it's used against women. It's used to make women feel, oh, there's something wrong with you. You have an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. The world is an anxiety disorder for the reasons that you and I have talked about. The world has, is not in its right place. So the fact that we're depressed by this is, is, is a functional, not a dysfunctional response to the times in which we live. Mm -hmm. The issue is to get the message. If, if, I, if you feel pain in, in your body, you know something's wrong. I need to go to the doctor. The same with, with psychic pain. This is not something to numb. This is not something to say, oh, the problem is the pain. No, the problem is the world that we have created, that people feel displaced, that people feel no purpose, that people feel no meaning. And at this point, that people feel there might be so much to fear lying with what lies up ahead. Damn right. If, if we don't mitigate climate change, for instance, if we don't make a U-turn, we could lose our democracy. If we don't make a U-turn, this planet could become uninhabitable. Shouldn't that make you feel a little anxious? And shouldn't that anxiety then move you into action? The last thing we need to do is to numb the pain so that we feel, oh, it's okay. Or as my girlfriend, I have a girlfriend who says, oh no, you'll just take something to take the edge off while you're doing the work. The work is listening to that pain and what it has to say. Sometimes in our relationships, the pain, for instance, let's say at the end of a relationship, okay, let's say a divorce or something and it's so painful, and there's so much grief. This is an example, though, of pain you have to burn through and not numb, because part of the pain at the end of a relationship, if you're like everybody else on the planet, it wasn't is that it wasn't entirely the other person's fault. So it's not just grief, it's humiliation. It's mm -hmm. embarrassment. It's self-hatred. It's recognizing how you sabotaged the part you played in the sabotage of the relationship. If you don't move through that and learn from it and grow from it, you are doomed to repeat that same situation in the future. The Course in Miracles says you must take 100% responsibility for your experience and that if you don't, the price you will pay is that you will repeat it. Well, thank you so much for that. It's such a, such a clear and, 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 different uh, uh, paradigm for it. And I really liked when you <laughs> talked about how we should not numb the pain, because a lot of times people use spirituality as a means not to have their feelings. Well, yeah, they go into negative denial rather than positive denial. Right. Um, what does positive denial mean? Positive denial is you are clear-eyed about what's happening. Some people say, well, we don't have to look at all these terrible things that are happening in the world because after all, they're just illusion. Because the Course in Miracles says that what is love is real. What is not love is unreal. It is ultimately an illusion. So some people who haven't read the whole Course but love to opine about it say, well, 
we shouldn't even attend to it because it's just an illusion anyway. That is not what the Course in Miracles says. If you say, oh, I don't have to look at poverty. I don't have to look at injustice. I don't have to look at climate change. I don't have to look at the uh, authoritarianism. I don't have to look at anti-Semitism. I don't have to look at racism because after all, they're only illusions anyway. That is negative denial. The Course in Miracles is a is about what is called in the book positive denial. Positive use of denial is where you do look at those things and you deny their power over you and the rest of humanity because I'm here now. Mm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. You are denying those things power knowing that that which is real is the love in our hearts and we have the power to cast out. That's what that you know that's what uh, you know casting out Satan for instance. You go back to the nothingness from whence you came, because all of those things would have you and me cast off the planet. We're on the planet to cast them off the planet. And that is the spiritual struggle. Although there is no real war going on here, because even though ego and fear wars against the spirit, the spirit does not war back. The spirit just is. Mm -hmm. But when you stand in it with conviction, in the presence of light, darkness cannot be. So light doesn't fight the darkness. Light just replaces the darkness. And that's the same relationship. The same relationship that light is to dark is the relationship of love to fear. In the presence of one, fear simply cannot be. On the other hand, because we have free will, in any situation that we do not consciously and proactively extend the love, because there's no such thing as a neutral thought. If I'm not consciously putting forth the love, I am more likely to fall into the ego's worldly default position of fear, and it will seem that fear prevails. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love how you reframe things in so much more empowering way than what society or what our minds often do. Well, that's for sure, because the mind is so powerful that illusions are as powerful in their effects as is the truth. So in every moment, we are either opening our hearts, extending love, and allowing the miracle of self-correcting universe to occur. The universe is like a GPS. If you take a, a wrong turn, it will immediately recalibrate. So when we've fallen into fearful thought, we become aware we replace that fearful thought with a loving thought. We replace the judgment with a blessing. We replace obsession about past or future with living in the present. We replace the what can I get from this attitude with what can I give. We replace over-identification with the material world with remembering that we are all innocent spirits. All of those things in that moment, because we change on the level of cause, which is thought, effects will automatically transform as well. Mm -hmm. If all we do is try to change things on the level of effect, those are just symptoms and the effect in one form or another will always just reappear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you have uh, certainly done a lot in terms of politics and um, you know, a presidential run the whole bit. What have you learned from being involved in that arena that you might be able to share uh, since most of us won't ever get that deep into that arena. Well, I hope all of us will get deep enough to reclaim the meaning of citizenship. 
-hmm. because we're in some big, big, big problems because not enough people have. And that includes a lot of people in the so-called spiritual community. Yeah. My own journey was one. Um, it reminds me of a story I once heard, a tale that had been uh, told by a Protestant theologian. And I like to think of it as the journey from the um, Good Samaritan to Conscious Samaritan. So the Good Samaritan is walking down the road and sees a beggar and gives the beggar alms. Then the Good Samaritan walks down the road some more, sees a beggar and gives the beggar alms. Walks down the road, sees another beggar, gives the beggar alms. Walks down the road, another beggar gives the beggar alms. At some point, the Good Samaritan says, why are there so many beggars? Hmm. And that's what happened to me. I had a career, especially because it began working with people who were dealing with HIV AIDS, but also other people in dire circumstances in their lives, up close and personal with people dealing with very, very serious issues. The test came back and it was cancer. My child is addicted to heroin, heroin whatever. But I began to see over the last 20 years how many people were living in lives of dire anxiety and pain for no other reason than bad public policy. People who were doing everything right. These were not the proverbial acts of God, like I got cancer. They were people locked in by a system, having to work two and three jobs, trying the best they could to provide for their children. And witnessing all the ways in which millions and millions of people in this country are blocked. We have, over the last 40 years, so transferred massive amounts of wealth and opportunity into the hands of very, very few people in this country. How could I, as a person who wanted to, to be of service, turn my eyes away from that? No amount of private charity, you mentioned the the nonprofits that I founded. I've, I've done a lot of nonprofit activism. I have raised and at a certain point gave a lot of money for nonprofit efforts, which are extremely important. But no amount of private charity can compensate for what is basically a lack of economic, social, and criminal justice in this country. Racial justice, economic justice. I mean, there are just, I think that the average American maybe doesn't realize what is happening on the other side of town? Mm -hmm. What is happening to people who just weren't born as lucky as you? And things like that happening in a country that is the richest, most powerful country in the world. Now, I have seen within our so-called higher consciousness and spiritual community a justification that I have found very unfortunate that people would actually use this almost faux spirituality. Oh, it's not real. It's toxic. <laughs> the reason politics is so toxic is because more conscious people aren't involved in it. So the more conscious people aren't involved in it, how is anything going to happen other than that it become more toxic? It's kind of like a doctor saying, wow, that, that looks horrible. That gash on your knee is so awful. Ugh, let's just not look at it. Let's look at your hand instead. Or people say what you resist persists. Well, sometimes something persists because you don't look at it. Can you imagine going, you have cancer, you have stage one cancer. Can you imagine an oncologist saying, look, it's stage one. 
But if we if we look at it, it's going to expand. So let's just pretend you don't have stage one cancer. Like what? That's going to make it better. I mean, this is such a naivete, and it's purposeful, ego created naivete. Now I do think that's beginning to change. I do think it's beginning to change. But for a while, it had me pretty um pretty upset by the whole thing, and that it was so ironic that it was projected onto me when I didn't run for president that I was one of those people ah, um, mm. that really it was, you know, like, no, you know, but that was purposeful too. Sure. Well, it's amazing how people will project what they want <laughs> onto someone else. And as a matter of fact, I think people really believe what they believe because of emotional reasons. And if we want to make a change in the world, we actually might have to convince people, but I, I'm not sure I have the ability to convince anybody of anything that they don't want to believe. And yet it seems to me that that bringing people <clears throat> on board is something that has to be done. Have you ever changed anyone's mind about anything? Well, what you're saying is so significant because I saw that when I ran for office, somebody would say something about me and we would provide the facts to disprove that. And I saw time and time again that what you said is true. They had their story and they were sticking to it because for their purposes, whether they were emotional or political, they wanted to see me a certain way. And no matter what facts were presented to them, they didn't want to believe it. And that is going on in this country today in some really scary ways really scary ways. Yeah. So, so yes, I have seen that. There's a certain level of open-mindedness that is absolutely necessary for critical thought and for honorable debate. I um, There is a meme that's been going around of something on the internet. It was the 405 freeway in Los Angeles and a big sign hanging over the overhang that says, honk, if you think Kanye was right about the Jews. <laughs> you might have seen the Kanye West said, I'm going to go DEFCON on Jews. And the people standing on the overhang above the sign are giving the Nazi salute. So I, I find it very disturbing as a Jew, as an American, and as a human being. Now, I sent that to four of my friends. And one of my friends emailed back, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be upset about. It's just a, a few crazy people on the overhang. Hmm. Now, that's really bothered me. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, am I going to write her back or not? Why is she ignoring the point? You know, what, what's going on here? And I see a lot of that in America today. You know, things that, are, that in former times we would have seen as appalling. And people are saying, oh, well, what's the big deal? And yes, Donald Trump had a lot to do with introducing that kind of attitude into this country. He did. Yeah, absolutely. But um, if we wanted to somehow, I mean, obviously, um, as you write in, in Politics of Love, this kind of oppositional stance doesn't change minds. How do we encourage this open-mindedness that you speak of um, what's debate. the most effective way? Mm -hmm. Healthy debate is not oppositional. This idea that the people have about just unity, it's almost like, what, if we all go brain dead? And that's unity? That's not unity. Now, I don't know if either one of you are married or in intimate relationships, but anyone mm -hmm. in an intimate relationship, married, we have to be able to disagree sometimes. Right. Now, what The Course in Miracles says 
is that the primary responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for themselves. When I told you that I have not written back to my friend, it's because I'm not in the right place yet. Hmm. The Course in Miracles says, first, I have to remember her innocence, her perfection, that no one has a monopoly on truth, that it's not an attack. Martin Luther King said, you have very little morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt. So mm. you have to clear your heart. This is why in nonviolence, the philosophy of nonviolence, it says self-purification must precede direct political activism. But this idea that we just shouldn't talk because we should all be unified is not unity. Martin Luther King says there is negative peace and positive peace. He said negative peace is where there's no outright tension, but there's underlying tension and anxiety. There's no outright violence, but there's an underlying tension and anxiety beneath those false smiles. Positive peace is built on brotherhood and justice. So we have to talk right now. It's not unity to just pretend that none of that matters. People's lives are at stake. The future of the planet is at stake. Now, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, a Republican, said that the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. I think that's true. There are high-minded conservative principles. There are high-minded liberal principles. All of us need to get back to the high-minded principles on both sides. Stay away from the crazy fringes and get back to a center of our decency and our dignity where we can speak to one another and actually learn from one another and hear one another. That's that's the transformational politics. That's the relational politics that will create a path forward and away from the the edge of the cliff that we're on right now. Right, right. And it seems to me that the, <laughs> one of the key points to what you just described so beautifully is when you said that people don't hear you when they detect your contempt. That's Martin Luther King. You have yes. very little morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt. We're all so smug and self-righteous and arrogant about people who don't agree with us. And that's on the left as well as the right. Whether it's people who are taking vaccines or people who aren't taking vaccines. Everybody, I'm right, you're wrong. That stuff just got to stop. Yeah. I, I say self, self-righteousness self is like the crack cocaine of emotions. Uh, Thank it's easy you. To oh, God, you're so right. And all of us, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've been on the front lines of both spirituality and then politics for a long time. Uh, I interviewed you 28 years ago for a book called The Experience of God. And at the time, you said that you did transcendental meditation. Uh, you had a, a certain perspective. I'm wondering how things have, how you see things are changing. Like nowadays, there's a lot more focus, in my opinion, on on somatic stuff, on direct awakening, non-dual stuff. Uh, what have you noticed in, in how things are moving and progressing? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, spiritual seeking uh, has become mainstreamed in mm -hmm. a way that it wasn't when you and I first spoke. Um, and that's a good thing. Absolutely. It is. We're, we're now in the 21st century. And the mindset of the 21st century is different than the mindset of the 20th, just like the mindset of the 20th was different than the mindset of the 19th. The 20th century was dominated by a very mechanistic Newtonian paradigm. The idea that the world is a big machine. If something's going wrong, all you need to do is tweak the pieces of the machine. 
we now recognize, as the British physicist James Jean said, the world is not a big machine. It's more like one big thought. The primacy of consciousness, mm -hmm. the recognition that the inner life is not only important, but is causal. This is now a mainstream thought. You know, it was hundreds of years ago that the French philosopher Blaise Pascal said every problem in the world derives from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. People are realizing our nervous systems are shot. Our adrenal systems are shot. Everybody's, you know, nobody has any impulse control. We're all feeling assaulted by modernity, by social media. People in such a mean mood, everything's jacuzzi. So a lot of people are realizing this is, we've really got to slow down here. And that's where transcendental meditation, any meditation, spirituality, prayer, mindfulness, yoga, people are beginning to realize that if we don't cultivate peace within, there will never be peace without. And um, we can't pharmaceuticalize our way out of that. We just can't. We've tried. <laughs> Many millions. It's not years. working. <laughs> yeah. Some yeah. would say it is. I mean, you know, I'm, that's not to say that psychotherapeutic drugs have no place in life. I'm not saying that at all. But mm -hmm. the overprescription of them as though that's the key to uh, our rampant lack of inner peace, I think, needs to be questioned. Mm -hmm. Now, you've also written a lot about goddess energy. And I think that that's something that... Uh, you know, it, it, everybody has their silo. And often if you're in one silo, you don't hear about the other silo. I'm wondering for our listeners what you can say about that and how, call it feminine goddess energy, can be brought forth more in this world. First of all, those silos are not a good idea. No, they're not. You know, I grew up at a time where you read Ram Dass and, like I remember in college, you read Ram Dass and Alan Watts in the morning, and then in the afternoon you're going to a Vietnam War anti-war protest. Nobody mm. saw that as odd. The revolutionary impulses of that time were cultural, social, political, sexual, musical. They were everything. And this idea of silos... And the specificity, it's like the old joke about seeing a little piece of the elephant, not realizing it was an elephant. We have mm -hmm. to apply a holistic and whole person integrative perspective on healing our civilization, just as we do on healing our bodies. So, yes, it, the idea of the divine feminine is important, but also so is the divine masculine. Mm -hmm. We're all masculine and feminine. It's just depending on your sex and sexuality, you're usually majoring in one and minoring in the other. As Jermaine Greer, the famous Australian uh, feminist said, the opposite of patriarchy is not matriarchy, but fraternity. I had an experience, you were mentioning before that I'd run for uh, political office, and I had an experience in my life that showed me something about the divine masculine. I had gotten to a point where I couldn't take it anymore the things that were being said about me, the stuff that was being thrown about me, lacking money, having to lay off staff. And it was right before the New Hampshire primary. And most of the women who were close to me were saying, Marianne, enough is enough. This is just so awful. And you are just suffering too much. And it's so painful to watch. 
and you're out of money, come on, give it up. You've made a point. You've got some great ideas out there. This is just, this is just, I hate what this is doing to your heart. Just stop. The men in my life were saying, get up and get out there. There are still seconds left on that clock. Joe Lewis regretted till the day he died that he didn't get up there one more time. Get up. You still got seconds left on that clock and you get in that primary. Mm-hmm. Now, in retrospect, I really regret getting out before the New Hampshire primary because mm-hmm. I would have gotten some votes. Wouldn't have been able to go past that, I'm sure. I wouldn't have placed first or second, but I would have placed more than people think, mm-hmm. right? And there was such a division between the men and the women. And at the time, I thought, well, you're being kind of, you know, not, I didn't think they were being mean to me. But And I really looked back and I thought, you know, that was the divine masculine talking. There's a place for both. There's the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. There's the take it in, nurture, nourish, hold. And there's a getting out there. You know, I remember reading many years ago when it said something that was saying, if you look at a tiny, tiny, tiny blade of grass coming up through the earth with a really heavy uh, microscope, it's actually very violent what it does to the dirt around it. I mean, birth is aggressive, mm-hmm. right? Birth yeah. is aggressive. So there's a, there's a place for that as well. Mm-hmm. So really, men can channel goddess energy and women can channel the divine masculine. And then... That's right, because the balanced personality has both. One last question comes to mind for me. You know, Nowadays, there's a lot of focus on what is called direct awakening and awareness. And that's you know, a slightly different angle than A Course in Miracles. Uh, do you have any opinion as to whether that's a good thing or any thoughts <clears throat> around that? It, do you mean by that that I can just all of a sudden awaken and that's it and I don't have to do any more work? Well, in its most coarse form, that's how it can sometimes occur. I think the direct awakening is moment after moment after moment. I might have had a an awakened moment in the last second. That doesn't mean I have an awakened moment in this second. Right. The Course in Miracles says that the term used is the holy instant. It's moment by moment we are making a decision whether to have your heart open, in which case miracles flow naturally, mm-hmm. or have my heart closed, in which case I'm deflecting the miracle, which will then be held in trust for me by the Holy Spirit until uh, I am ready to receive it. Now, the interesting thing about that is it the ego is very sly. So if you have this direct awakening concept, which is kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus. I got it. I'm awakened. I don't have to do any more work. That's spiritually, be real careful with that. I mean, I'm, let me tell you, if if anybody would know, I would. I can have a moment of great generosity, great compassion, great love, great service. And five minutes later, I could be triggered and be a bitch on wheels. Mm -hmm. That's, the work is to see that mm-hmm. and to see what happened in that moment. What's that trigger? What is that in you? What, what, what happened in that instant? Because that instant is the one to hand to God and say, in that place, I'm wounded and I'm willing to be different. Because mm-hmm. you come to the, to the realization that you are responsible for your effects. 
So if you went into a moment where you got needy or got angry or got whatever, that's your wound. It's not where you're bad, it's where you're wounded. But you have to, he says in the Course in Miracles, I cannot take from you what you will not release to me. So we have, that's the work, is to say, yeah, I, I get nuts when that happens. That's where I'm wounded. I get stuck in that moment. It's always based on childhood things to some extent. Yeah. In that moment, the wires get crossed. I don't know how to let the love flow and get my needs met. So I go into this, right? Mm -hmm. The work is to see that. Now, the beauty I love, you know, the prodigal son means the father was more excited to see the son who left and came back than the son who never left. In those places where, you know, I love the Hemingway line, everyone's broken, but some people grow stronger in the broken places. A bone that's brought together is, that breaks and comes back together, it's stronger there than it was in the places where it had never been broken. So there is something profound. You see this in AA. It's the person who is in sobriety who can counsel the person just getting into sobriety at a deeper level. So I've seen that so much in my life where I feel that my <clears throat> prayer has been, may my failure in that area make mm -hmm. me a better person. You know, your only failure in life is what you fail to learn from. And I know in my life, I've learned as much from my failures as from my successes. I've learned humility. I've learned carefulness. I've learned to be more responsible with my heart and the heart of others. I've learned to take life more seriously. I've learned that circumstances don't necessarily come back around again. I've learned a lot from failure. And I think that in those places where we did learn through failure, there's a radiance. Hmm. Beautiful. Uh, I want to make sure that if there's a, uh, a question that we haven't asked, something you want to say. Also, I know that you're doing a new course uh, yes. starting soon. <clears throat> I'd love to hear about that as well. Well, it's called Developing Your Wings, and it's a six-week course, and it's about the principles of based on the Course in Miracles, the course being based on universal spiritual themes. The Course in Miracles, and, it, and it's called Embodying Mysticism in the Modern World. And people can find out about it at Marianne.com. The Course in Miracles says that enlightenment is a shift in self-perception from body identification to spirit identification. I love, there's, a, there's a, um, an image in the Course. It says, you are like waves in the ocean thinking you're separate from other waves. So think about this. A wave cannot be separate from other waves. But if I'm a wave in the ocean and I think that I'm separate from other waves, how can I not live constantly terrified that I will be annihilated by a wave that is bigger than me? But on the other hand, if I realize there's actually no place where I stop and the other wave starts, then I identify with the power of the ocean. Mm -hmm. I feel the power of the ocean. I know that it doesn't make me less powerful. It makes me more powerful. So my physical eyes see you guys over there and you see me over here and I see your physical casing. and That's what the three-dimensional world tells us. But on a spiritual level, which is mind, there's no place where you stop and I start. How I view myself and others existentially according to the lens of separation or the lens of oneness will make all the difference in the world. And my experience of my life 
And ultimately, when you multiply that by enough millions of people in the experience of the human race, which is becoming more and more of an urgent issue every day. Often we don't change until something's urgent. So in that way, uh, that could be a good thing. Well, uh, The Course in Miracles says, it is not up to you what you learn. It is merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain. Hmm. But th we shouldn't be too glib about that. Because it's like when my friends in the environmental movement will say, don't worry, Marianne, the planet's going to be okay. It just might have to throw off this predatory species called humanity for a few hundred thousand years. Ha 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 ha. Well, there's no ha ha ha. Yeah. Because if you allow yourself to imagine the immeasurable suffering that would result from that scenario. Mm -hmm. Right. We can choose wisdom. Yes. But it's time to choose. Absolutely. You know, this is so wonderful. I had, I had one remaining question to ask, and you answered it beautifully when you were talking about the wave in the ocean and oneness, because it was because our, our listeners are, uh, most of them are into non-dual spirituality. And when you talked about oneness, you answered my question without my having to ask it. So I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. It also talks about how we are like sunbeams to the sun, thinking we're separate from other sunbeams. Right. That's another great one, too. There's, yeah. no, there's no place where one sunbeam stops and another sunbeam starts. Mm. I want to thank you for the courage that it takes to be so out there, you know, uh, putting yourself in situations that you knew would be difficult <clears throat> as an inspiration to men and women around the world. And uh, I was always touched watching you at the presidential debates, knowing that when one puts out what are not quite mainstream ideas, that the level of attack is unfortunate, but very real. Well, and, you know, it's interesting. You were talking before about how many of the ideas we're discussing have become mainstreamed. So when that political media industrial complex says that I'm weird to the world that you and I inhabit, they're weird. <laughs> and so I'm just saying things that are like the way people talk now. Yeah. This keeping it all transactional, keeping it all superficial, keeping it all on the surface. That's that's not the 21st century. They're stuck back in 1987 or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. thank you. No, thank you. And I, I just hope that the, that the love that you talk about pervades our world and helps to heal it because it's so needed. Well, you were clearly doing your part. So I acknowledge you for that. And I'm honored that you gave me an opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Mm. Our pleasure and, and uh, so inspiring. Uh, hope our listeners listen to us more than once just to have it seep in. Thank you so much. And Thank we you, often Mary. say to our uh, listeners as a goodbye, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.